Hi, my name is Austin Arder, and I've been a professional world builder and a writer for about a half a decade. After spending most of my life either reading books or writing them, I want to help new writers learn the ropes so that they can do their stories justice. I want to see more good stories in the world, and I'm going to teach you how to do it. This podcast is all about fiction writing, how to make epic fantasy world building on mind-blowing scales, keep tension with fast-paced cyberpunk thriller plots, and the buzzwords behind slow-creeping psychological horrors. If you want to learn how to do it, the Arter Podcast is for you. Hello, and welcome back to today's installment of the podcast. I'm your host, Austin Arter, and we have some good stuff to cover today. A good friend of mine reached out recently and asked me what the absolute fundamentals of fantasy worldbuilding are, the things that absolutely cannot be missed, those core components that actually make it fantasy worldbuilding. It's almost impossible to talk about fantasy as a genre without talking about worldbuilding. For most people, it's their first experience with worldbuilding inside fantasy stories like Lord of the Rings. In order to talk about the essentials, we need to break down the genre to its bare bones. Fantasy itself is speculative fiction that is defined by the characteristics of unrealistic or imaginary elements. It often involves magic, it's set in a fictional universe, and often inspired by mythology or folklore. When we talk about fantasy as a genre, everyone has their own personal picks to throw into the ring. Lord of the Rings, the Cosmere, Song of Ice and Fire, and so on. However, fantasy is also the umbrella term for all of its subgenres too. High fantasy, flintlock, grimdark, urban fantasy, wuxia, on and on. But what specifically from this list makes fantasy fantasy? How little or how much could you have before the line starts to blur? And why can you call so many different stories all by one name? In order to answer that, let's go back to the beginning. I've always been deeply interested in mythology and folklore. According to Euhamerus, a Greek mythographer in the 4th century BC, myths originated as a retelling of stories that became more and more exaggerated as they were passed along, sort of like a game of telephone. Bernard de Fontenelle from the 16th century Common Era posited that myths existed to explain the natural phenomena that ancient peoples encountered. Folklore is a derivative of those ideas as the gathering of smaller beliefs and rituals shared between people. Where myths explained why the sun crosses the sky every day, folklore became a cultural expression for the smaller unexplained phenomena that they encountered. The combination of these two, the place where the tide of the ocean of myths washes up on the shores of folklore, created a world that was neither ours nor theirs. Some examples might be of a sailor's warning of what to do when you encounter sea monsters, warnings to children not to go into the woods at night, elves that steal your shoes, fae that steal those children, and too many dragons for anyone's good health. These stories passed great wisdom down, but they left behind the ripples of a magical underlying world that only the brave or the unlucky ended up witnessing. They gave us stories such as One Thousand and One Nights, Beowulf, or even the Epic of Gilgamesh. Modern fantasy began as a collection and retelling of these stories, the myths and the folklore. Their ideas all folded neatly into a story. Back then, which is now considered pre-Tolkien, they were simply known as fairy tales. Those stories became things such as Alice in Wonderland, Dickens' Christmas Carol, The Wizard of Oz, and Peter Pan. Although there was a presence of darker or more gothic fairy tales, the majority of publication was targeted towards children, Hence the beginning of the trend of reserving fairy tales for children instead of as folklore warnings for adults. Fantasy as we know it truly began in Tolkien's time. Tolkien was a professor of philology at the University of Oxford and frequently found himself buried in ancient literature. 
he took the old legends of elves and dwarves and magical items and crafted a world with reimaginations of these core concepts. C.S. Lewis, a contemporary of his, followed suit with creating a world of centaurs, fauns, evil ice witches, and four prophesied high kings and queens for his Narnia series. Their publication in the 50s transformed fairy tales into high fantasy for adults and set the stage for a rush of sword and sorcery stories in the 1960s. In our post-Tolkien world, we get to enjoy all of the benefits of those trailblazers, including a true exploration of what fantasy is and what fantasy could be. For worldbuilding specifically, we need to look at a breakdown of how a world becomes a fantasy one. There are certain hallmarks that are very cut-and-dry fantasy. Dungeons and Dragons was birthed from that sword and sorcery era of fantasy and evolved alongside the fantasy writing revolution. They maintain classic elements of grand old wizards, dragons, and huge cities, and a million other discoveries along the way. While it, it's helpful and fun to put classic fantasy elements into your story, you also aren't forced to. You could have a severe absence of magic and dragons, and it could still be a fantasy story. It depends on how you approach your worldbuilding. For fantasy worldbuilders, our world is considered the primary world. The primary world is where all of us are living out our lives, whether that be driving to pick up groceries, working at a desk somewhere, or doing the dishes. Primary world fantasy is a classification for stories that exist under the surface of our own world, kind of like Harry Potter or Percy Jackson. Commonly inside of this trope, the rest of the world has no idea that this magical world exists under our noses. The next classification is secondary worlds. These worlds exist completely independently to our own world and are by far the most common worlds that you'll encounter when it comes to fantasy. These feature their own original environments, histories, characters, magic systems, and everything else. You'll know this from Lord of the Rings, King Keller Chronicles, Six of Crows, Westeros, and so on. The final classification is Portal Fantasy, which doubles as a subgenre and a trope in of itself. It marks a story where the characters pass from a primary world into a secondary one through a portal of some kind. Think of Gaiman's Coraline or Neverwhere, Stephen King's The Dark Tower, or Narnia. Fantasy leans towards the magical and supernatural and away from technology. Whether this means magical powers, imaginary creatures, mythic races, rewritten physical laws, or whatever else, that's fantasy. Through all of this, embedded deep in fantasy is a question. Some sort of sense of something that is not quite as it seems. The sense that your imagination might actually be telling the truth about what unnatural thing exists beneath the waves. The same feeling that we get from mythology and folklore. Preserving this sense of wonder and unexpected reality is key to writing fantasy. So how do you actually pull off that feeling without directly drawing from the source material of mythology and folklore? We can use something that I've created called the Rule of Two. One, you need something mythic related towards the natural world. Number two, something mythic related towards the supernatural world. The natural world in this case is a catch-all term we'll be using to refer to the physical environment, any natural laws like gravity or time, and all things related to the daily life of the average character. This could be things like enchanted items, mythical creatures running around in the woods, uh, new lakes and oceans, and so on. The supernatural world refers to anything above, below, or behind the scenes of the natural world. This includes things like gods, realms of existence, and so on. Magic systems could fit into either of these categories depending on the system and the world. 
If magic is the essential property responsible for the floating islands of Malzividen, then it's considered a natural world magic system. If you only get magical powers when the undying ghost of a god possesses you, then that would be a supernatural magic system. These elements can be mixed and matched against each other, but as a general rule of thumb, you should have at least one, hopefully a few examples for each criteria that we can then judge fantasy from. The distance from our regular primary world into your magical one is the path to writing fantasy. For example, let's say that you've decided to write a new fantasy book for NaNoWriMo this year. You grew up on Harry Potter, but you want to make something that has the same level of political intrigue that Game of Thrones has. It's settled. You're going to make a magical academy coming-of-age story where making allies and overcoming strange challenges is part of day-to-day -day life. Start with the question of what would a magical academy create or need to encourage students to make alliances? If the students need to collaborate in some sort of competition, then they might build alliances through some sort of training regimen or by offering each other things of value. You can choose which of these two categories to draw inspiration from for this. For example, in the natural world, maybe the campus of the academy itself is sentient and will occasionally offer up clues or advantages. Maybe there's a dryad in the woods that teaches a student a certain kind of magic that they're going to need. Or maybe the academy itself is on an island filled with magical creatures that the students could either befriend or fight to gain power. Sort of like a Spy Kids 2 situation. Maybe in the, a supernatural world, your academy is run by a secret council of wizards that seem to be holding some sort of secret. Maybe the thing that makes your world fantasy is that there's an ancient immortal trapped inside of a mirror in the basement. Maybe your main character starts having dreams of dead students wandering the halls that seem to warn him about something. Whether or not the students at this academy actually have magical abilities is also no longer the deciding factor of what makes this story fantasy either. Your fantasy doesn't need a magic system as long as it has magical elements to suspend your reader's imagination, to suspend that feeling of disbelief. For example, in A Song of Ice and Fire, there is no real overarching magic system. There are multiple smaller magic systems, such as Brand's Warging or Dothraki Blood Magic, but the absence of a fully explored or understood magic system makes the series extremely interesting. They could have also suspended disbelief with making it ambiguous as to whether or not magic actually exists. Maybe Khal Drogo would have just done that regardless of the ritual. A majority of the fantasy elements comes from the introduction of other mythical elements, such as dragons and giants and white walkers. The same rules apply to portal fantasy or primary world fantasy as well. Tweaking simple things pushes it towards fantasy. Normal life is normal life for Bella until she finds out that vampires are real. After that, she uncovers a world of immortality, werewolves, and other hidden things. It also doesn't push you too far with slamming you in the face with the classic elements of fantasy in order to make sure that you know it's trying to be a fantasy. If you want a great example of a fantasy story set in a secondary world that doesn't have a magic system, dragons, or wizards, but does feature extremely different natural laws, mythical races, and a very different culture, you could rewatch or reread The Grinch. Or a portal fantasy world with a huge supernatural underworld in the cat in the hat. Both of these qualify as fantasy because they fulfill the core essentials of the rule of two. As long as you keep the rule of two in mind while you're world building, you'll lean in the right direction and cover the absolute fundamentals of your fantasy world building. 
that's all I have for you today. I hope you guys enjoyed as much as I did, and I hope that you use some of the ideas in this podcast to improve your own writing. If you want to support me, you can follow me at Austin Arter on all socials. If you like this podcast, please rate it five stars and send it to a friend and follow me for more. I do offer ghostwriting and writing coaching services on my website of the same name as well. If you or a friend want the extra creative boost to bring you to the next level, you can also support other small authors at The Myth Dimension, a hybrid publishing company designed to support authors with a much larger royalty payment and marketing training to help you build the business side of writing a book. Thank you for everything, and I'll see you in the next one.